Thank you. Thank you so much. That's so kind. Oh, thank you. Sorry. Just rearranging. Um, but it is a real honour, and I want to thank Pastor Dan and Stella for having Henry and I and Bianca here, because it really is. I never take it for granted um, to visit a place where God is moving and um, just to see the body of Christ at large across the earth, that we all have one commonality, and that is that we love the Lord Jesus Christ with our whole heart, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and that we will get to spend eternity with one another. Isn't that exciting? (laughs) So we're just so pumped to be here, and uh, really, really grateful that you would invest in in, in your ladies, um, I know that tomorrow is going to be a great day, but you men get to have us ladies also impart into you. So <laughs> would you pray with me because uh, I just always need the Holy Spirit. Amen. We can't do it without him. So Father, I thank you for your word. God, your word is alive, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides between soul and spirit, bone and marrow, God, and it judges the attitudes of our heart. And so, God, I pray that this word would not just be information, but that it would be transformative, that it would impart your truths that, that do something on the inside of us, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers of the word. And as we apply your word, God, you are shaping us and forming us into greatness, God, because you have set each one of us on course to change this world and change the sphere of where we are at, God. And I just know that each and every one of your sons and daughters has been called with a purpose. So God, I pray that today that there would be encouragement imparted into your body and that they would know that you are a good father and that you make all things and turn them for good for those that love the Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So um, I don't know about you, but uh, ever, I mean, I, I love that I'm about to speak on this topic when I'm in the literal desert. I, I love this. The fact that I'm actually preaching about the wilderness and the desert experiences in your life, and I'm literally in the desert. I love this. You guys probably understand the desert better than I do, but we understand deserts as being dry and desolate by nature. There's not much out in the desert except Dubai just defied all the odds, right, and made a whole kingdom. (laughs) But normally they're a place of silence and seclusion. Normally they're a place where there's, it's not, it's not a favourable place where you go into the desert. And I don't know about you, but we will always go through a wilderness season in our lives. And I want today this small talk to just be able to change our perspective, that whether you're going through a wilderness and desert experience right now, or you go through a desert and wilderness experience, that you're not to see it in a negative light. I used to look at the desert experiences in my life. I don't know if you've ever had those moments where the the heavens feel like brass and you feel like God isn't answering your prayers. You feel like, where are you, God, in the midst of this? I've been praying, I've been believing, I've been seeking, but I can't hear you. I can't feel you. You're not answering my prayers. Anyone ever gone through one of those seasons or maybe going through those seasons and you're literally thinking it's punishment? I used to think that the wilderness was a timeout season. Alex, you haven't been good enough. You're not faithful enough. You're not reading your Bible enough. You're not praying enough. Go to the wilderness. 
That's how I used to see it. It's why now I don't put my children in time out because I don't believe that God doesn't put us in time out, but He takes us and He leads us through a wilderness to train and develop and equip the body to be all that you were predestined to be. Every story has a great beginning. Every story has great conflict and every story has a great resolution. How can we ever think that our story does not involve conflict? How can we ever think that our story doesn't ever involve isolation? How can we ever think that our story is just gonna be peaches and cream? I don't know about you, but when I became a Christian, I thought everything was great. Nothing bad happens to Christians because we all love the Lord. We've been set apart, bought with a price. We're following Christ and then calamity and adversity comes our way and we're wondering where God is in all of it. If Jesus had to be led through a wilderness church, who are we to think that we're not gonna be led into a wilderness? See, Jesus was led into the wilderness after he was baptised. He was, heavens opened and it was, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Holy Spirit came upon him and remained on him. And it says in Matthew that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, 40 days, 40 nights. Some of you will be led into the wilderness by God. When you have your greatest moment of encounter, God will then lead you into a wilderness. And it's almost like an oxymoron where you're like, hold on a minute, I just encountered you. I just you know, got set apart. I just got a prophetic word over my life. I just got told I was gonna do this, that and the other. And then the very next day or the very next week or the very next month, you seem to be going in the opposite direction. And you're like, hold on a minute. I thought you said I was going to take on the world. I thought you said I was going to do this and now I'm in a pit. I'm in a prison. I'm in Potiphar's house. I'm in all of these areas that are not the destiny and the promised land. And Jesus is saying, oh, there is method to my madness, sons and daughters. And you have to trust. You have to trust that when I lead you into a wilderness, it is to teach and train and equip you. I want to read from Hosea 2.14. It says, Therefore, I'm going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back vineyards and will make the valley of Accor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In the context here, we're referring to Hosea, who is a, uh, one of the minor prophets in the, in the Old Testament, and God actually asked him to marry a prostitute. And his life would be a picture of how he pursues Israel, who is an adulterous generation that seems to want everything else but God. Yet here we have a real life picture. Imagine God asking you to be the, uh, the metaphor, if you like, to show this generation how much he loves them. And he says, I'm going to cause you to marry Goma and you are going to marry her and she's going to 
really bring life not very good to you because she's going to cheat on you. She is going to reject you. She's going to run away from you. She's going to do all sorts of things, but your position must never change. Your position will continue to pursue her. Your position will be that you love her. Your position would be that you are going to show her love unconditionally like I have shown my people love unconditionally. And God sometimes is going to ask us to do things that in the natural seem impossible, but they are for a greater cause and greater reason. And here He is leading her. And he, at this point, He's saying, now I have to allure her into the wilderness. Why? He had to take her away from all the distraction. He had to take her away from all the noise. He had to take her away from all the things that were causing her to constantly just fall and constantly flail. And He says, therefore, I must lead you into the wilderness so that I can take the wild out of her. I need to take you through the wilderness so that I can deal with you privately. And God is a jealous God. And He'll say to you, sometimes I need you, just you and me. Lock eyes with me. Let me speak tender words to you. She probably couldn't receive love. She was probably fractured. She was probably broken. And here is um, Hosea needing to take her to a space of isolation and um, just desert wilderness experience so that he can begin to speak tenderly to her. See, we think the wilderness is a punishment, but God is saying it's a gift. I need you to come into the wilderness. I need you to come away alone with me so that I can speak tenderly to you. Do you realize that in this generation, we've got a generation that is quite insecure? We have a church that should not be insecure, but we are insecure. And we don't know who we are because we don't know who God says we are. And we're wanting validation from every other man and woman in our life. And God says, no, I need to allure you into the wilderness to affirm who you are, to speak kind words to you so that you can know who you are. Isn't it amazing that when Jesus was led into the wilderness after He'd been told, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. And He gets led into the wilderness. And what is the thing that the devil tempts Him? If you are the Son of God, prove yourself. If you are the Son of God, perform this miracle. If you are the Son of God, and, and, and there's right there, identity. Jesus was tempted in proving Himself. The Word says He was tempted, which means there was a moment where He probably wanted to prove Himself that He was God. But He showed restraint. And this is what happens in the wilderness. You are being trained. You are being readied for the task at hand. And the enemy will come at you and he will whisper lies. You're not who says God says you are. You're not that person. You can't do that. You're, you're, you're your past. You are defined by your past. You are not a son. You are not a daughter. And in the wilderness, there's no other voices around and you have to trust the voice of God over your life saying who you are. It's why He takes you into a wilderness experience. Don't see it as a negative. You need to see it as a gift. You need to see it as God being jealous for you and taking you into a place to make you strong. You see, in Isaiah 58, 11, which talks about fasting and it says, I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places. A full life in the emptiest of places. I've learned that the kingdom of God is the opposite kingdom. 
It never makes sense. How can you have the fullest life in the most barren of places? Isaiah says, sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. You see, when you understand how to praise God before the miracle, that's when you find the fullness of who God is. It's not when you get the miracle of the child, it's beforehand. And when you discover that God is good regardless of the outcome, you discover the Holy Grail. You discover God in the fullness and nothing else matters. This is why the Apostle Paul could say, whether I'm in lack or whether I'm in plenty, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because it's not dependent on the the fullness of prosperity and blessing. It means no matter whether I'm poor, no matter whether I have been stricken with illness, no no matter anything that comes my way, I know that God is good and He's always good and there Therefore, yet he slay me, yet will I praise thee. Just like Job. You see, that's where you discover the fullness of who God is. It's in the emptiest of places. I've discovered in my short life that it's been in my most barren seasons that I'm the full, most fruitful. It's actually in the barren seasons. It's not in the full seasons because it's in the barren season that I've learned who God is. I've learned that he speaks tenderly to me. It says here in Hosea that he gives back vineyards that have been stolen. He gives you blessing in those empty places, that he restores hope, that he turns the valley of Accor, which means trouble, all your troubles, all adversity, all calamity. He says, I'm gonna transform that into a door of hope and hope that does not disappoint, a hope that is your anchor, a hope that says Jesus Christ is good no matter what the outcome is. Jesus Christ is good no matter where I am. You see, sometimes we're led into the wilderness and sometimes we're pushed into the wilderness by people. Joseph was literally pushed into a wilderness experience by his brothers. And we think it's unfair, but we think, oh, Joseph, you know, had to go through that and, you know, but look how good he was in all, all the times he just excelled and he excelled and excelled. But isn't it amazing that in Psalm 105, it says his feet were put in fetters and his neck were put in chains until the word of the Lord was tried and tested. See, he had a prophetic word over his life that he would rule. He had a prophetic word that he would have his, you know, people bow down to him. But isn't it amazing that when God gives us a dream, we think it's about us. And God says, oh, no, no, it's about the salvation of the people. And it's the wilderness season that gets the wild out of us and the me and the I out of the equation. And we understand it's for the salvation of the people. And this is why we've got a generation of a celebrity culture in the church, which I do not believe is Christ. You see, Jesus emptied himself, made himself of no reputation and endured the cross. And now he is the name above every name. Amen. (laughs) it's, It's just the opposite kingdom. And we think that the wilderness season is a punishment and we think, where are you, God? But what He's doing is firming our muscles. He says, I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places. Firm muscles, strong bones. You see, He's developing your inner core. He's developing the character inside of you. 
He's not punishing you, but He's wanting to get your pride out of the way. He's wanting to get your, deal with your insecurity and understand your security in Christ. He's wanting to you to understand that there's a bigger picture than your name in lights, that your name is all over the place, that He's wanting you to bow low so that there becomes a place where people can come and drink from living water that flows out of your being. We've got a lot of toxic water that's coming out right now. But you see here, it says that I'll give you firm muscles, strong bones, and you'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. See, your wilderness experience, at the end of your wilderness experience, you need to be like Jesus, where when He came through that wilderness, every person He laid hands on got well. Every word that He spoke, thousands came to know the Lord. People were raised from the dead. Blind eyes were open. You see, this is the fruitfulness. Every word that came out of His mouth was transformative. 30 years hidden in the shadows. 40 days through the wilderness being tempted on His identity, being tempted on who He is and what He could do. Showed restraint. Do you realise that when the enemy said to Him, if you bow down and worship Me, I'll give you everything. I'll give you all the kingdom. I'll give you the whole world. Do you realize how tempting that was at that moment? Do you know what the enemy was asking of Lord Jesus Christ? You don't have to die. You can have all of this if you just worship me. Do you realize that he could have taken over the world? There wouldn't have been sickness from that day on. There wouldn't have been poverty from that day on. There would, he could have taken over the world, but it would have been at the expense of allowing Satan to become like God, where Jesus is now worshiping Satan. Is there any wonder why when Peter later on walks with him and Jesus says, I must die. And three days later, I must live. And Peter's like, no, Jesus, Jesus, no, 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 no. You don't have to die. You're Jesus. You're the son of God. He says, get behind me, Satan. He's not being mean to Peter. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, I already conquered that temptation in the wilderness. Don't you dare come and tempt me again that I don't have to die. You see, when we don't deal with our stuff in the wilderness, the enemy will come at our highest point of ministry and continue to tempt us. And if he didn't overcome him in the wilderness, he would have fallen short and not gone through with the cross. But you see, you gotta understand that God's mission in our life is not for us to always be on the mountaintop, but we're gonna lay our lives down, that we're gonna give it completely to Him. And He's saying, will you deal with it? No shortcuts here, no taking that that short route so that you can get to the top quicker because what I need you to do is go completely low so that I can be lifted high. And it's in the wilderness that we deal with this stuff. See, when you're in the wilderness, you deal with all the junk. You get rid of all the junk. You see, I was in ministry since I was 21 years of age. And it got to 40 and I entered into America and I thought this was gonna be the season of the promised land. I thought I'd gone through my season of training. I thought I'd gone through my apprenticeship season. Lots of things went through my life, lots of disappointments, lots of good highs, lows, everything. I get to America, there is no one, there is no job, there is nothing. And I'm like, God, I thought you said this was our destiny, this is our promised land. And Jesus said, sweetie, um, this is a wilderness. And I went into that wilderness season kicking and screaming. I went into that wilderness so mad at God. 
What have you done? I've been faithful. I've served. I've laid down my life. I have given everything. You're taking too much of me. Where's the reward? Like, you know, woe is me. Woe is me. Woe is me. Woe is me. And I went kicking and screaming into depression. Oh, God has left me. Where are you, God? Literally, my husband was a little bit concerned because I just would stay in bed all day and eat Kit Kats. And I just didn't want to get up. I didn't want to face the day. I was like, God, I thought you told us to go to America. We are missionaries for you. And here I am and there was nothing. And we looked quite foolish to people around us and to the family that we'd left behind. And everyone's like, what are are they doing? They're doing nothing. This is embarrassing. God doesn't take you from something great and bring you to nothing. Well, I don't know about that, because if you think about Jesus, he left all of heaven to come and be a seed in a woman's womb. That's pretty big to small, if you ask me. But, (laughs) and I realized that what God was doing inside of me was affirming who I am for the first time in my life. You see, for years, I'd sought validation from mankind. For years, I had looked for the role that defined me. I looked for the position to affirm me. And God had to take me through a journey and say, Alex, who are you without the name, without the title, without the paycheck, without being known as Henry Seely's wife? Who are you? I said, I'm your daughter. I'm your daughter. I'm your daughter. He said, we'll start acting like one. Start acting like one. Start acting like one. And he told me something that I'll never forget. And he said, Alex, I have one mission for you. I said, I'll do it, God, whatever you ask, I'll do it. He said, love people like I love them. And I went, okay, what do you need me to do? (laughs) He said, no, 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 you didn't hear me. I said, love people like I love them. And I think it was the first time it ever resonated with understanding the cost of loving people. Because now it wasn't what people could do for me. It was how could I serve you? Now it wasn't how people would affirm me. It was how will I affirm them? It was no longer about me, but it was about the salvation of men and women. I would look at their eyes and I would see them differently. When God talked me through the whole passage of loving your enemies, do good to those who hurt you. When somebody robs your shirt, give them the coat also. When one person slaps you in the face, turn the other cheek. You know, we kind of gloss over that scripture. We actually don't know how to love our enemies. Do you know that in the Greek, that word enemy means your personal enemy? It means the person that has wronged you. That could actually be a spouse, a family member, a friend, a colleague, someone close to you. And God is saying, are you going to love them like I love them? How are we going to be when there is an enemy in our corner? Are we going to reject them and kill them and just say, oh, they're not, you know, we we need to put boundaries and get them out. No, Jesus asks us to go the extra mile for them. Jesus asks us to pursue them. Jesus asks us to love them. But you can't actually do any of that when you haven't gone through a wilderness experience because your wilderness experience actually takes every bit of you out of the equation and you understand what you're called to. 
And God is saying, I'll give you the fullest life in the emptiest of places. Do you want that? Do you want that? Because you see, I want to be like Jesus. That's, he's my role model. I don't have mentor role models on earth. No, no. Jesus. Jesus. What would Jesus do? And I hate that that became such an annoying phrase with the band. I don't know if you had that here. WWJD. But let's not water that down because what would Jesus do? Because when I look at Jesus and when he went through the wilderness, he's just, instead of toying with the enemy, instead of engaging with the enemy, he knew who he was. He knew what it was about and he said, it is written, Satan. No, it is written, Satan. No, it is written, Satan. And Satan had to flee. And that is why he can have all authority. You see, your wilderness season is not only going to take the wild out of you, but it is going to place in you an authority that you cannot buy. You cannot purchase authority. Authority comes from yielded obedience. Authority. People say to us, how did you grow the church so fast? How did the church of the belonging just blow up? I will tell you how. By yielding and getting on our face and surrendering everything by submitting, by honouring God, by doing the hard work in private. See, a lot of people think outward. Let's look at the highlight reel of somebody's life, but no, you need to ask questions about the secret place. You need to ask people about their wilderness experience. And I'll never forget 2012, my theme song was Cornerstone. And that first line that opens up, my hope is built on nothing less and Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but solely trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Saviour's love. Through it all, through all the storms, through all the valleys, through all the wilderness, Jesus, you're Lord of all. You're Lord of all. And I didn't just sing it just as words, but I sang it as prayers and intercession in my heart. God, I have to mean this with my whole heart. I have to know this like the back of my hand. I can't just be giving you lip service, but I actually have to live it. And I got up and I began to love the person in the grocery store. I began to love the person that my daughter went to, a music teacher, the music teacher. I would sit with her after music lesson and look at her in the eyes and ask God to give me a word. I would pray for the, every person that I would meet and I would say, God, give me an encouragement. How do I sow into them? Do you know how the belonging grew? Because we believed in people. We weren't doing a church launch, come and be part of a crowd. No, I just loved people. Henry just loved people because when you invest in people, you understand it's not about you, it's about them. It's about the salvation of the people. And people know when you genuinely love them. People know they're not dumb. The full life in the emptiest of places is wanting to firm our muscles, strengthen our bones, build into us, make you like resolute military. You see, we always say about our church that it is a hospital for those that are broken but you don't live in hospital. Once you're well, you get discharged and then church becomes boot camp. And it's boot camp because it's a training ground. Isn't it amazing that our training ground 
is not actually the end. We think the wilderness is the fight. Do you realize that the wilderness is just the precursor to the battle? The wilderness is like boot camp. And the reason why the military is so strong on you in training for boot camp, they're training you for the worst case scenario, the most harshest environments, and they're seeing whether you can handle it mentally, emotionally, physically. Because you see, when you get into the battlefield, the enemy has no mercy for you. And the enemy has no mercy for the sons and daughters of God, and he will take you out if you don't know how to be strengthened in the Lord and you don't know how to encourage yourself in the Lord. You see, if you're still looking for the validation of man, if you're still needing people to prop you up, you'll never be able to sustain the life of Christ because you need to understand that when you're completely barren and completely isolated that you have found the fullness of your relationship with Jesus. And this is what I've discovered I just am so full. Because, you know, when we started inviting people to our home, we invited five people to our home. And if the keyboard player could come, I would love that. Um, we, had five, we invited five people. They were the five, first five friends we ever met. Five friends. That's all we had. And we invited them into our home. And Henry just put his hand on the keyboard and the power of God just fell. Each individual, one person just got baptized in the Holy Spirit with no one laying hands on them, just began to speak in tongues. Another person was actually ready to divorce her husband. And she got radically impacted that she went home and still to this day they are married and he is drug free because the reason why she wanted to break up with him because he was a drug addict, he's completely free of drug addiction and their marriage is restored. The other girl was completely wounded and bruised, rejected of all rejects, found her identity in Christ. Another man, totally impacted by the presence of God, hasn't cried in years, began to weep under the presence of God. Another girl under the pool table where she was discovering that she had had a wound of rejection so deep she didn't even know what it was. And God said, I want to heal the sickness that has no name. One by one, one by one, one by one. And I remember at that point, at that point, Henry and I just began to weep. And I remember saying to Jesus, if this is it, if this is it, if this is it, I'm so full. I'm so full. Five people having their lives changed. I found it. I found it. I found it. I just was like, God, this is it. This is this is what you created me for. It was just to love people and see them set free. And it doesn't matter. We're hidden in a basement. We're just we're just doing life in our own room. And and yet people are coming. And then week after week, we didn't invite another person. And person after person became coming to our door, going, We heard about what God did in our friend's life. Can we come in? Sure, come on in. Don't know who you are. But come on in. And they sat down and person after person kept getting their life wrecked. And I just went, oh, this is what it's all about. You see, it's not about the stages. It's not about the travel. It's not about anything. It's just, it's about people. 
And when He finds the fullness, when you find the fullness of who He is, the one becomes the 10,000. The one becomes everything and you begin to see people like Jesus sees them. And I want us to close our eyes, bow our heads. I don't know whether you're going through a wilderness. I don't know whether you've been through one and you perhaps failed because you just kept kicking and screaming and wondering where God was. But the perspective change that I want to present to you this morning is not to see it as punishment, but to see it as a gift. To see it as God alluring you so that He can speak kindly to you. So that He can shape you from the inside out. So that He can deal with the stuff that's just been swirling around. That God's saying, I need you to do deal with that right now because I have great things for you. But in order for that greatness to be taken hold of, I need you to go low. I need you to empty yourself. I need you to deal with the insecurities. I need you to deal with the pride. I need you to deal with the unforgiveness in your heart. I need you to see your enemy in a different light. I need you to actually know what it means to go through suffering for the cause of Christ and understand that I'm developing you. I'm strengthening your bones. I'm I'm building your muscles. Because there's going to be a day where you stand before people. And you can literally say, you may have meant it for evil, but God meant it for my good. Because it's about the salvation of the people. And where Jesus Christ could sit, kneel in the Garden of Gethsemane and say, God, I I want you to take this cup from me, but I know that you've called me. And he defied the the temptation and and he overcame and he said, I'll go right to the cross so that every person can be saved. Imagine if he took the shortcut. Imagine if he just didn't go through the wilderness properly. Where would we be today? And there is a person on the other side of your wilderness that's waiting. There's a person on the other side waiting for your obedience, waiting for your heart to just go, you know what, it's no longer about me. Whether your dream's being fulfilled right now, God's saying, oh, unless that seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot reproduce. And I want today, you see, what I had to come to in that place of kicking and screaming was God saying, Alex, I need you to yield to the process. I need you to surrender and I need you to just be obedient to say, God, your will, not mine, be done. And however that looks, I will do it. And whatever it costs me, I will do it. And I believe God's calling a generation, especially in this country, to count the cost and say, whatever it takes, God, it may be a wilderness, it may be difficult, but I choose you and I surrender to you. And if that's you, I want you to stand to your feet, raise your hands. I want to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah, Jesus. Just raise your hands, close your eyes. I want you to just picture Jesus. 
want you to say, Jesus, I repent for not yielding to your process, to your ways. I ask you right now to lead me to that place of fruitfulness. Whatever it costs me, I choose it. I choose to follow your lead. I choose to surrender to your ways. For your ways are higher. For they are so much greater. And I commit myself to you afresh to go through the wilderness so that you can strengthen my bones, so that you can firm my muscles and so that you can turn my valley of trouble into a door of hope. I ask this in your name. Amen. Why don't we worship?